Oh, me too. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, we're recording. Let's do it. What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. This is a legendary, iconic podcast in the making. We've got the limiting factor, uh, Jordan Gisigi. Uh, did I say that right? Jordan, what's up? Yeah, that's right. Hey, what's up? Um, so I'm going to give you an intro. Before, First of all, this is crazy. If you're just joining, we literally, I just got shipped a 4680 cell from Tesla. This is their brand new state-of-the-art battery uh, technology. We literally have it in our hands. If I'm not, I, I think this is the first leak ever. Correct me if I'm wrong, right, Jordan? And so, yeah, nope. There we go. It's sharp now. Ooh, okay. Look at that. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> So there's the tablet. I'm trying to get you to see it. Anyway, I, I wanted to just give an intro for you because you, when I discovered you, were making incredible battery videos, maybe just a couple years ago, and started to get a little traction. We did a podcast, and you've had this meteoric rise, and it's just so much of hyper change of like independent, thoughtful, smart AF, using the internet to get your word out, and you've created these battery videos, and now you're taken seriously by the likes of Shirley Meng, the leading academics who've spent decades of their career pioneering this technology, and you are like almost their peer in terms of covering this and have become sort of an iconic person in the battery YouTube space, and I think there's literally no one in the in the world better to talk about this 4680 with, and so it's been amazing to watch your your rise, and I just wanna say thanks for coming on, and everyone should check out your channel if they don't if they don't know about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. This is uh, it's exciting. I've been waiting to get uh, my hands on one of these battery cells, and I actually have a couple labs lined up that are willing to do tests on these. But I'll let you uh, I'll let you drive here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so so, so no, let's let's do it. Why do we care? What's up, Jordan? Why do you care about this? Why are you waiting for this? Well, uh, to get our hands on an actual cell, we can actually tear it down and we can find out what technology is inside. With any battery cell that you get, there's a balance between power and energy. And I think the technologies that they have in that battery cell should be able to increase the power density and energy, energy density at the same time. And yeah, there's just so many questions I have. For instance, how long, um, generally silicon, you know, if you can get it the last 1,000 cycles, you're doing really well. And if you can get 5% in your battery, you're doing really well. So if Tesla can increase the amount of silicon in their battery and make it last longer, we should see, you know, much higher energy density batteries with longer cycle life. So, and that's just one aspect of it. So yeah, there's, there's about 10 or 15 tests that I want to have done on the battery cell. And yeah, I can tell you're stoked. And I'm curious what if for those even more like dumbed down and basic level, like why is this so exciting? Why are we excited about a battery cell? Um, how big of a deal is it that we've seen a car company take this technology in-house and not only just have the idea, but apparently being on the cusp of commercializing it in a vehicle that's sold to consumers? This is our energy future. It's like you were what you were saying in your uh, stream just a few minutes ago. If if we have a battery cell like this that can be produced at volume really quickly with low capital input, uh, small production footprint, uh, low cost battery cell this there's no more excuses this 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 is the tool that we're going to use to uh move to a sustainable future yeah and and how insane is it that uh just to kind of put in context like tesla disrupted itself with this you know we have the 2170 cell which is already like the most efficient electric vehicle that you can i think battery pack that you have in terms of overall efficiency and so for them to do this 
it's an even step further. And the most fascinating part to me is the structural pack of what it enables. It's an entirely new form of an EV design. Um, so I don't know if that's your specialty on the battery, but I'm curious what your take is on how big of a deal is that this is a structural pack because that relates to the key question of from a consumer level, are we going to get more range? Is this, or is this just going to be cheaper for Tesla to build so they'll drop the cost? Or will there be a performance increase? Can they get around not having a performance increase because of the drive-by-wire structural pack physics? Um, yeah, it, it's it's all those things that you mentioned. Because um, when you do a structural pack, you're able to strip material out of the battery pack that makes it uh, uh, cheaper to produce and easier to produce. And uh, you also get higher energy density. So it's a win on all fronts when you can take those battery cells and make them a structural part of the vehicle. And... Um, okay, so maybe let, let's just let you run. What what are you nerding out about this? What are you so excited to test? Um, like what 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 do you what do you want to know? Because I'm like it's going to be dope. Don't we already know the stats? Didn't they tell us the stats? Or you just need to double well, check the, thing the stats? Is, or... Well, we don't know what uh, the information they gave us. We don't know if that was like a three year plan, like you know the fifty percent increase in range. Was that something they planned to roll out over time, or is or how much of that technology that they unveiled at battery day is in that battery cell. So, and that's what those tests will tell us. We'll be able to tear it down and find out uh, what they've done differently in this battery cell that's been done different in every battery cells. Uh, when you just look at a battery cell, it just looks boring and mundane. It's like you're talking about with your turtle <laughs> a few minutes ago. But uh, yeah, everything that's happening in that battery cell is happening at, um, you know, uh, scales as thin as a human hair and on down. So, um, and that, that brings up an excellent point, which is there wasn't just one innovation. There was layers of innovation in that battery day presentation. And so you're unpacking, you're like, wait, like Tesla's not going to throw all of these in. Let's see what essentially the M MVP is the minimum viable product for them to put the 4680 in a vehicle. Cause you know, that's how engineering works. Like, right. This is what we want, but there's going to be trade-offs and like, like our shareholders, the customers, we need to put it in the car. So now we got to do it. It's okay if not everything's done. So those kind of trade-offs are you thinking of and specifically the silicon, it sounds like. Yeah, there's always trade-off decisions when you make a battery cell. But what I think Tesla is going for here is what's the optimum solution with uh, the fewest amount of trade-off decisions that we have to make. And then on top of that, by tearing apart the cell, we're going to view as how it was actually made. And maybe that can give us some insights into the manufacturing process. One thing that I'm hoping that they were able to do with these battery cells is make the battery cell larger, mean, meaning it contains more energy, and at the same time, make it safer, or at least as safe. If they can do those two things at the same time, on top of all the other things we just discussed, that'll be really impressive. So, yeah. And, and one of the biggest innovations with this is like right under this part here, which is the tabless design, that little silver thing. I was kind of hoping I would see that, but I don't want to tear it open. But what's, can you can you run down the tabless design? Because that seems to me such a big, and I have actually here, this is a replica that has just yeah. so people can see. But what's so special about this foil technology that Tesla's developed here? What that allowed, that they, it allowed them to make the battery cell bigger and also maintain the charge rate. So basically when you charge or discharge a battery cell, it releases heat. So uh, you can only make the battery cells so big before you run into thermal limits because a larger battery cell will trap that heat. So they've been able to make the battery cell larger and 
maintain the amount of power that they can put into it and pull out of it with that tabless technology. Basically, it, it helps with cooling. But I think uh, another thing that it does is it shortens the path of the electrons in and out of that battery cell. So it reduces the amount of wasted energy because the, uh, you know, the more bottlenecks there are for those uh, like electrons entering and leaving the battery cell, uh, the more heat it generates. And heat is, uh, that means there's an inefficiency happening. So hmm. yeah, it's like friction, electrical friction inside the battery cell. Yeah, and this is like, it was like a straw. Now we have a hose, one of those yeah. analogies of like energy flow. Um, exactly. And, and I'm curious, what, uh, like when I have my EV, you know, they say charge it to 20 to 80%. Uh, when it gets full, it kind of stops charging. You never want to do it to 100%. I'm curious if these kind of, or like when it's cold, the battery loses a lot of range. I'm curious if these things that we kind of just accept as the norm for all EVs will be able to change with this technology. With a high-loaded silicon anode, I'm hoping that we'll see improved cold weather charging. Because what happens is uh, when you're charging a battery cell, all the lithium ions move from one side of the battery cell to the other, and they have to find a spot in the anode side of the battery cell. And generally what they have to do with like a graphite anode is they have to find, um, find a hole or find a spot within all these layers of graphite. And with silicon, they can just bond right to the surface of it. So it's like a, a 3D uh, mechanism for storing the energy. So with that in place, I'm hoping that it'll, it'll be able to do better cold weather charging. In terms of um, charging above 90%, that's just a side effect of um, high nickel battery cells. Because they get to such a high voltage, they start reacting with the electrolyte and they start breaking down. However, there is a chance that they were able to improve the cathode so that it can um, be charged to 100% more sustainably with less degradation. So that's another thing that I wanted to check uh, on the teardown. I can't hear you. Your, your sound cut out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm curious on the teardown because, I don't know, we're kind of in uncharted territory here. Like, Tesla doesn't, mm -hmm. they didn't give me this. Like, this isn't official. Like, I'm not supposed to have this. You know what I mean? So, like, do they want us to tear it down? Because I want to do what's best for Tesla. And, like, I, I also am trying to, like, spread the hype for the battery just to build like excitement and i want people to care because i think out of everything in the world people should be caring about advancements in battery technology and who's making them because that's super important to how we fight climate change and that's why like i'm excited about this and as tesla shareholder i'm excited but as like a human i'm excited and so that's why i try and send the love but i'm like is this are we going to get in trouble is there's like a secret sauce that if you were v-dub or quantum scape and you tested this or is that or is tesla like go for it believe me you you can't <laughs> Well, I imagine there's different viewpoints. I imagine some of the people who developed this technology are like, oh, yeah, I can't wait till somebody tears this open and sees what we did with this thing. Because as Elon said at Battery Day, there's a lot of things that they, um, there's a, a lot of technology they said that goes into that cell that they didn't discuss at Battery Day. And that's that's something I'm curious about. So I'm sure there's people in there who, uh, you know, uh, have, are proud of what they've done with that battery cell. In terms of like the broader question, will Tesla get upset about this? Well, I encourage, you know, if somebody from Tesla will reach out to us and let us know if we shouldn't do this. But my view is that these battery cells are going to be on the road here within the next few months. One of those vehicles is going to get in an accident, um, unfortunately, and that'll make some of these battery cells available. And there's going to be companies that as soon as those cells become available, they're going to tear them down. So this is just giving us maybe uh, a two or a three month lead time. 
and um, we're going to be more transparent about it than most of these companies tearing the cell down well. So I, I suppose that would be the key difference. But yeah, it's I expect there to be. Go ahead. As a unit, you know, Sandy wants to tear this down, like buy a new one. And like, you know, he's like tearing down the Model Y. I feel like even Tesla's excited about that. So it's kind of like, I almost feel like Elon and Tesla are kind of like, yeah, tear it down. Like tell the world how like next generation our tech was. Like we, you know, like that's like, that's the marketing for Tesla almost is like mm -hmm. academic battery thought leaders touting their technology. Like to me, that is the marketing. Whereas a nerd, I'm like, yeah, like if I'm going to spend money on this incredible piece of electric technology, like I want the one that Shirley Mang is nerding out about too, because you know, she knows her stuff. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's Sandy Monroe. I don't know how DP goes on, on cells. Uh, at least the information that he shared publicly, what they do is they just test how much energy density they have, et cetera. But I don't know if they've ever actually gone down to the chemical level. Uh, the tests that I have lined up are, you know, they cost, you know, to have a lab do this costs tens of thousands of dollars, but there's a lot of people interested in this cell. So I should be able to find a lab that'll, uh, that's willing to tear it down and then share the results. Uh, so we supply the cell and then they supply uh, research back to us. It would normally cost, I don't know, $50,000. So yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you should be able to negotiate them to do this for free, for sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, I'm kind of curious um, what, uh, okay, wait, let me see, let me see my question. Um, oh, well, I don't know. And I don't want to, unless you wanted to say something, cause I have, I have a couple of questions on the drive feelings of a structural pack versus a normal, like this drive by wire thing, or I don't know if that's the same, but something where, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm just totally wrong yeah. here. Okay. Well, there's a uh, drive by wire. That's like, I think what they do is they disconnect the steering wheel from uh, an actual physical mechanism to drive the car. So that's, um, it's an unnecessary piece of equipment, basically. You should just be able to remove that. Um, connect the steering wheel wirelessly to some sort of motor, and then uh, you just drive the car. So that, I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of the wrong word. I, this is totally the wrong term. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. Of there's not, the pack's not dead weight. So it's built into the car, the structure of the car. So to me, from a mm -hmm. first principles le level, even if we use less cells to give you 300 miles of range in your Model Y, um, it's gonna be lighter and there's gonna be less weight. So that means the acceleration will be faster. That means we even need less energy to get the same range. So to me, there's a first principles sort of like law that this driving sensation of like the tight, light, low to the ground, nimbleness, agility of a Tesla is about to get better with this technology. And that to me is kind of trippy. Oh yeah, I agree. What I like, I think the, the structural battery is gonna do a couple of things. One thing, I think it's going to pull the center of, the, of mass tighter into the vehicle and make it more uh, dense. So it should, it should have better handling characteristics. I'm not sure how much of a difference that'll make to the average everyday person, but for, if you're like on the track, you'll, you'll definitely notice a difference. But it will also help with uh, the weight of the vehicle. So it'll be lighter, so it'll accelerate better. It'll just be uh, more nimble is, is my view. Uh, with without that extra weight in the bottom of the vehicle and from a business model perspective uh why is this so exciting for tesla like are you um you know do you see them ramping this quickly or is it going to be linearly do you you know and is this something a kind of thing where now that they've figured it out they're just it's off to the races and we are just scaling this thing like crazy or can we expect a more linear uh process i think it's something that's going to take time 
it's it's taken well let's see here you might have to cut that part out um yeah i i think it's something that it's going to be more linear i think it's going to be similar to the other production ramps they've done with their vehicles especially the the first time they do a vehicle ramp and although it's going to be a relatively or hopefully relatively simple cut and paste from their other factories or sorry the cato road facility it's still you know they're they're going to be doing a larger facility in a different location and it's going to uh, my brain fell out of my head. I'm going to do yeah. that one more time. No, no, it's all so, good. It's all good. We're, I'm, I'm, yeah. all, I'm doing a horrible job interviewing right now because I'm so excited and I'm all over the place. So I, <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, this is because there's just so, it's just kind of an overwhelming moment, candidly. Like it's just, there's so much going on and so much excitement and so, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's, yeah, we could do a riff on that. But first I want to answer your question because <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I think this is going to be more linear in nature. It's going to be similar to their vehicle ramps. Yes, they have created a pilot line at Cato Road, but with every production line that you put into place, each one of those production lines kind of has its own personality. Uh, no matter how tight you make your tolerances and how closely you uh, copy them over to the new line, it's these manufacturing lines are complex. So they will run into unexpected issues uh, but they will overcome them like they like what happens with any production ramp so i think well hopefully by the end of this year we have a decent ramp out of austin and then if if they can get berlin moving as well that would be great but uh what it looks like to me is they've slowed down production at berlin perhaps due to regulatory issues and they've they've shifted their focus to austin because it's probably just a lot easier to get things done in texas yeah, it's a lot closer to California to like ship all the stuff to you. And I even had a, an interesting tidbit and Elon's been talking about the 4680, like put it on the conference call, tweeting about it. To me, that says that this is ready for prime time and like they're ready to put it in a car. There's a lot of confidence there. I also had a leak from uh, internally. I saw that there was more cells created successfully in January than the entire fourth quarter. So just to put into context how kind of finally January, they had this moment of finally hitting their stride because I know the biggest issue was yield, super, uh, the yield with the problem. And I can, I can even try and break this down for you, but essentially there was like these machines that had to create the foil that was like super finesse and like one little mess up would cause the whole roll to be messed up. And they kept running into that issue and they wanted to buy a bigger machine, but then the bigger machine like they couldn't even get the smaller machines to work, but they were kind of working. They're like, the bigger machine's definitely not going to work and we don't want to spend all that money. So we'll just install like eight smaller machines instead of one big machine. This is like what I'm hearing. And I know, so can you, <laughs> can you translate that? Or like, do you get that? That's, uh, that's beyond me. <laughs> I actually have to like be in the factory and like to, to understand what's going on there. But while you're doing that, I'm going to check my, my, my notes to give you the better words. Okay. Yeah. So there's whenever you have some sort of snag in a manufacturing process there's always a number of different solutions to it uh, like for instance they were having problems rolling the cathode last year and there's a i think they implemented uh it sounds like they might have implemented more than one solution at once because you can maybe say get a harder roller or you can warm up the material so it's easier to to smush down into uh an electrode and 
they can also also change the mixture so it's more flowable. So uh, as, as to what they're referring to there. Cathode rolling. Sure. That is it. It's the okay. an issue with the cathode rolling. And apparently, apparently the other thing is they're already saying they have enough supply for all of 2022. So that's going to be, that means Wait. super <laughs> low volume. So what that's telling you is there's going to be a couple thousand cars. Is I don't know. This is like the gossip that I'm just hearing. So this could be totally wrong. But the gossip I'm hearing is they've stockpiled a million cells. That's a couple thousand vehicles. And now I didn't even like, I'm like, shit, I should have read this before. But just putting it together now, I'm like, it's going to go very slow. I think you're right. Even slower than you were just hinting almost. Like it sounds like, and I almost think they should sell it as a different car, like Model Y Plaid Plus and sell it with the yoke for 80 grand. Um, and make it super limited. And that's how I would do it from a customer perspective. But yeah, any comments on that gossip? Okay, so there's a lot there. <laughs> it's, uh, you have so many bits and pieces there. Now, you said they have enough supply for 2022? I was just, I, I wanted to circle yes. back to that and understand it. So you got a million cells. You're cranking out 10 to 12,000 cells a day. That's 3 million a year run rate. That's 4 million cells built by the end of the year. Four divided by 100. What's that? You know, 4,000 cars? Yeah, something like that. So, so that's, that's it's a pretty low production. So the information that you're getting, does that align with the rumors that we've seen on Twitter the past few days where there's like yeah. something like six to... Oh, okay. Well, well what, what have you been hearing? Because I, I, I didn't look too closely, but I saw a picture where it was basically like yields getting better. We're cranking them out production's booming, which is exactly what I'm hearing. So that's why I was kind of like loosely. Okay. Well, there's yield and then there's production is booming, which is, it looks like the yield is really good. But based on that data we saw on Twitter the other day, it was something like 7,000 cells that they were producing, which is a really, I don't know, something like 200 megawatt hours a year, which is a fraction of what they should be able to do with those production lines. However, there's, my understanding is there's actually a couple different uh, production lines at Cato Road. And on top of that, we may not have been looking at uh, the cells produced in total from the whole factory because there's, you know, in the image that they had, there's little drop downs that you can push to narrow your search. And it looks like one of those drop downs was selected. So it may, that may not have been the total production. It may have just been a group of winding machines, for instance. So it didn't give me enough information to, you know, the yield looks great. The production rate didn't look good, but we also didn't, we don't have all the information behind what was in that screenshot. I hope that makes sense. Totally. And uh, I love, this is why I like talking to you because you're so much more measured and calculated and think about what you say before you're going to say it versus me. Uh, so I'm curious what you, what uh, versus last year where battery day, um, you know, how would you say we're ahead of where you thought we're going to be? Are we exact? I'm kind of going to say we're about exactly where I thought we're going to be. You unveil this crazy new battery cell fast forward a year and a half later. It's actually being put into cars. Like, I'm kind of like, that's kind of about where I thought. It's definitely way under the 100 gigawatt hour or whatever by end of 2022 runway they want to be at. But I thought that was ridiculous anyway. So, and it was just, you know, that's Tesla. So are, is, are we ahead, behind? How are you feeling about the program? Well, like before battery day, my prediction was that they would be, you know, within a year of battery day, they would be producing, oh, basically a, a year from battery day, they were, they would have that pilot line, uh, pasted over to a new battery factory and they would be start ramping that up. So it's a little bit behind what I predicted in my pre battery day video, but also like right after during battery day, they said, you know, we're going to implement 200 gigawatt hours of production by 
2022. And we had a conversation about that. It was like, that's a ridiculous amount of battery cells. <laughs> it's like, that's what, no way. That's just, I mean, I was trying to be as positive as possible, but that just didn't seem like it was, it was going to happen. So, um, yeah, it's, go ahead. Well, I'm going to switch it up. So I don't, well, what, uh, this is more up your alley. How do you feel about um, this form factor enabling new battery materials? Because this is something we hear a lot of criticism from, you know, look at all the lithium mines to, to put into that. Look at which Tesla's innovating on lithium mines, a whole other thing. But the way that Tesla's uh, kind of building and innovating on the way that the battery's built and the different and the way that because of engineering and advancements making this like better, now we can use iron in this, which is way cheaper and way more readily available, way more sustainable. So. There's a lot of innovations at the form factor level that allow sort of new ways to use new materials that are easier, cheaper, more sustainable. And I I think that's a very underappreciated part of this program that I, is, is there well, any truth to that or? Well, you can put, basically you can put, oh, there's a limit to it, but you can put most chemistries and most form factors. Okay, actually probably an even more clear way to put it is, uh, as far as I know, you can put any cathode, any commercially developed cathode into any form factor. What limits the form factor is the electrolyte because you can't roll solid electrolytes because they're brittle and they tend to, to crack. So uh, I don't think the 4680 opens up new horizons in terms of materials, but I do think the structural pack with the 4680 opens up the possibility that you can put LFP, lithium iron phosphate battery cells into that form factor and make it work. Because typically LFP battery cells, you can have to make them shaped in cubes so they can you know, maximize the volume under a vehicle. With the structural battery pack, they should be able to pack in enough battery cells that they can use a, a smaller cell, which means, um, well, it, it should allow for better cooling of those battery cells and it should allow, for, allow Tesla to use one form factor for all their different chemistries rather than using a different form factor for, for each chemistry. So I get, there, there's been a lot of debate on this, but I'm, my view is firmly that Tesla will use the 4680 form factor for LFP. If they do use prismatic, that's fine, but it makes more sense to be able to just copy and paste these production lines and just change the cathode mixture. And if, uh, to me, it, if Tesla does decide to use a prismatic form factor instead of the 4680 for LFP, to me, it's kind of, well, you know, why didn't, why did they choose the 4680 form factor in the first place then? It, it would, it would seem to be kind of uh, so short-sighted, I suppose. So yeah, it's exactly. like, dude, you think they're going to make the 4680 and then buy like a shitty off-the-shelf prismatic cell? Like, is that right? <laughs> well, That's... well I, I guess I would put it more delicately. <laughs> okay. yeah. There's a little more nuance. <laughs> yeah, because those LFP prismatic battery cells are absolutely excellent. But I, like what the core of what you're saying is absolutely correct, which is Elon is the type of person that goes, all right, let's think five years into the future. Uh, what is going to be the optimum form factor so we don't have to dick around with all these different form factors? And so we have like warm, one form factor to rule them all. I could be wrong, but that tends to be the way Elon thinks. Like for instance, they're, they've been using uh, NCA battery chemistry for like 10 years now, and they're one of the first in the industry to use it. And uh, same thing with uh, silicon. They're just, you know, they went with NCA and silicon 
oh, at the middle of last decade and they've stuck with it. And now they're just iterating on that. So yeah, I don't know if I've communicated that uh, as well as I'd like, but uh, yeah, yeah, Elon tends to think ahead. Well, it's, it sounds like, uh, and that's maybe in terms of how Tesla's vision for battery technologies changed uh, over time, it seems like the materials debate is a very interesting one. And in the past couple of years, because of the 4680, it's sort of opened the doors on a lot of material innovation because of its other advantages. And I think that's such a cool sort of inspiring part of this whole story is the way that they're using more readily available materials and like really thinking about the entire, you know, how do we get from a grain of sand into a vehicle? And there's so many steps there and how can we improve that entire process along the way? People think it's a t everything, they're so jaded that everything that's a green car, or an electric car must be greenwashing, must be bullshit, but they don't understand how to the core of Tesla's DNA, they are constantly pushing the envelope on innovating on making things more sustainable. Um, I don't know if you have any stories about that, but like. No, absolutely. Because it's like, for instance, when you're producing battery cathodes, there's a lot of like, uh, they use a process that creates a lot of heavy metal waste. Now, I don't know how they deal with that at the factory, but it looks like the way Tesla is going to be uh, creating their cathode materials is it's going to be, they're not going to have any heavy metal waste. They can just reuse everything right into the process. So it makes the process more efficient and more green. And that's what they're doing across the entire stack. They're going, all right, how can we make this more efficient, more effective, and in doing so, we'll earn more profit and on top of that, benefit the environment. So it's just like, uh, you know, they're, they're looking to achieve the highest possible good to maximize you know, uh, maximize return for shareholders, maximize the benefit for the environment, maximize the customer experience, just do like tick every box at once. And how many companies do we see that are doing that? Not, not a whole lot. There's none that I know of that inspire me that much. And they're not just doing it in one area. They're doing it in across the entire supply chain. So the cathode was just an example, but, um, they're doing it throughout their process. Like, and you're aware of this with the 4680 production using dry battery dry battery electrode with the wet process there's all these toxic fumes they have to deal with they've cut all that out of the production process of the battery cell that's so much better for the environment produces a better battery cell less environmental impact and cheaper so i could go on but that's that's the gist of it if you have any more tidbits to share i love hearing the the like examples because I sometimes I don't understand but I love hearing uh like I know a lot of the cathode manufacturing takes place in China so like this little piece of sand gets mined in Australia we ship it here then we ship it there then we ship it there then we ship it there we ship it there it's like it goes around the world 10 times before it turns into a battery let's let's figure that out um and so when that's why they were trying to do lithium mining and cathode production in-house in America like and that's kind of on the longer term roadmap but I love the kind of concrete examples of that yeah, well, there's, as you've seen recently, and this is information that's, you know, kind of been dribbling out over the past year since Battery Day, is they, as they said at Battery Day, they're working on localizing the production of batteries from lithium mine to battery line. Like with Piedmont Lithium, they, uh, they're, they're going to start getting lithium from Piedmont Lithium. And then I think it's Talon Metals, they're going to start getting nickel from Talon Metals. Now, a lot of the nickel that is used in battery cells 
you know, it's it doesn't have as bad of a reputation as cobalt, but nickel is still a pretty dirty process where they're just pumping these um, uh, heavy metals out into the environment. It's just absolutely toxic. Whereas I think Talon Metal uses a a, uh, a process that's much more environmentally friendly and also uh, more efficient. So. Uh, yeah, they're localizing the battery chain, which, as you said, saves all those materials being shipped all over the world. And on top of that, the people who are producing those materials are doing it in a way that's cheaper and better for the environment. So it's just every level. Um, I would have to sit down and think about it. No, too, that's that was because it's the list is the list is like, you know, there's probably 20 things that they're doing. And that's why I'm on Team Tesla so much because it's like, and you look at their impact report, it's like we are making, you know, it's at least 50%, even if you're charging on fossil fuels on the grid. And that's and that's with the current battery architecture. So you think about the grid going greener, you think about our battery technology getting better. Um, the gap only widens between the fossil fuel car and EV in terms of environmental footprint as we go forward. And so I just, I don't know, I think that's, it's, it's, well, it's crazy oh. to think that that's not common knowledge, but it's genuinely not. And hmm. so that's why I'm trying to talk about it, but... Yeah. Well, on top of that, it's just there's this. If we switch to an electrified future, that's. So, if we switch to an electrified future and we do it in a way that's polluting, we've we've lost a lot of the benefit of switching to EVs. So, when you switch to a new battery production system, you want to make sure that each iteration of the each generation of the technology is more environmentally friendly. Otherwise, it's, uh, yeah, we're just um, moving from one problem to the next. So it's, and Tesla recognized that, and you can see it throughout their supply chain, what they're attempting to do. And with the with the vision of Tesla gets me so excited in this 4680 is it's a uh, the recycling component. And we know there's, you know, a J.B. Straubel doing his recycling company. But Tesla's goal, and this is the part that's so fascinating to me, is and uh, the life cycle emissions is eventually they want to recycle all of these. So, right. And so the most I remember actually, um, <clears throat> I'll talk, I say I had a story with an unnamed Tesla battery executive. And I'm like, you know, what's good with the mining? What's good with recycling? Like, why did J.B. leave? Why is he going to recycling? Like, that's so interesting. And I wouldn't have thought that that mattered. And he's like, dude the amount we can get like 90 percent of the shit out of this and reuse it it's like dude and i was like wait wait you're like that's actually gonna work like you know you think about recycling batteries like it's not gonna work it's dead it's a broken battery like and they're like no like this is the new mine this is mining right here is recycling that's the future of mining is we mine all this shit we have 100 million cars in circulation your your car retires we're just going to recycle that battery that we need a fraction of the amount of raw materials to create that new ev and now we almost have a system I don't want to say that's like a closed loop, but we're getting very close to closed loop in terms of having the batteries re be recyclable. So is this is this going to be recyclable? I feel like that should be a no-brainer. Of course it is. But what's your take on the sort of recyclability of this? And that well, that's that's an another another there's levels to the recycling game and what J.B. Straubel doing. He's uh, what he's doing is important. And I don't. I don't know exactly what process he's using, but there's a super basic process where it's just like thermal, where they just burn the battery cell and they take the materials out of it. Now that is, you know, wasteful to a certain extent, but it's still better than mining hundreds of thousands of tons of material and all the waste that that involves. So it's even the thermal process is better than pulling out of the ground. Now the next level up for that is like a chemical process where it's a it's more um and it's a more elegant solution where you apply chemicals to it and then you pull out just the things you need and uh, it's you can reuse those materials more easily 
Now, if you make your cathode and anode materials durable enough and design the cells in a way that they're built to be deconstructed, you can just pull the, you know, take those materials out and without reprocessing them, uh, at least reprocessing them a lot and just put them back in a battery cell. And that, that's, uh, what's the word for it? that? That's the gold standard from my perspective. And I think that's a uh, part of the reason why Jeff Don is big on the single crystal cathode. You can use one of those single crystal cathode batteries for thousands of cycles and then take those same crystals back out and then potentially put them into another battery cell. Whereas like for instance, even that chemical process I was talking about, you pull these materials out and what you have after you've pulled materials out of the battery cell, you still have to reprocess those to put put them back in a battery cell. If Tesla eventually can find a way to put materials into a battery cell that can be reused directly into another battery cell, that would be amazing. And it's something I don't know enough about, but something I get really excited about. So. Wow, it's all good. That, yeah, it's so, and I love that we're diving into this to show the layers of innovation. There's so much work to be done, but like there's, we're going in the right direction. And the part that kind of excites me, uh, like at Battery Days, what I ask Elon and Drew, or yeah, yeah, keep going. <laughs> Light bulb moment, you can, that's meme worthy. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I think Tesla's actually gonna do battery recycling in house. That, that's my view, because they have teams working on that type of thing. Oh, yeah. I think potentially why J.B. Straubel went off and did his own thing, because he's like, all right, well, if, you know, Tesla can have their own in-house recycling process, but uh, we we also need another company taking all the battery cells from other people and recycling those. Because Tesla, when they have their robo-taxis coming back at the end of life, because those robo-taxis, their life is going to be shorter than a normal vehicle. Uh, they can pull those robo-taxis directly back in, pull the battery packs out, put them through their own recycling process, and just have this closed loop for Tesla products, where out in the broader world, we need something different. Because Tesla, if they're breaking down their own battery packs, they can tailor their production process to their batteries. Whereas JB Straubel, you look at all these batteries he's taken in, it's from like, you know, every different type of battery manufacturer. And that probably slows them down quite a bit, taking all those different battery packs and cells and pulling the materials out of them. So I see it's two kind of two different use cases and two different applications for recycling. So. And the part about Redwood that blew my mind is it's not just batteries, it's electronics. It's uh, your phone, it's your computer, it's uh, you know your speakers, it's not just EVs. And then when I thought about that and like the problem of electronic waste, that sort of made me think of Redwood in a very different way of uh, a recycling company, a vision for like a piece of society that doesn't exist yet because we throw everything away. We don't think about the potential of it and the reusefulness of it. And so that was kind of an inspiring aha moment of like, oh, Redwood is actually onto something much bigger than just recycling batteries for non-Tesla EVs. Yeah. And it's one thing to keep in mind with that is a lot of people think that, okay, well, we have Redwood material. Problem solved. Uh, unfortunately not. It's it's really, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't think people realize that the amount of material that it requires or it's going to require to shift the world to to battery cells if these battery cells that jb Straubel is taking and recycling uh, you know have been around for say 10 years the ones that come out of vehicles the amount of material supply that you have come from coming from recycling is the battery supply of 10 years ago and you look 
look at how much the battery industry has grown in 10 years. You're going to only be able to cover a fraction of the material supply you need with recycled materials. So yeah, it's, it's really important, but, and it will become a bigger factor, especially around the mid 2030s. But now during the 2020s, while we're ramping, uh, we need ridiculous quantities of material. Yeah. And, but it's cool to think about that end game, to think about if every single thing in the world's running on this 4680, do we have enough raw materials to do that? And I think the answer is yes, especially with this sort of roadmap of recycling technology we're on. And so that's why I like thinking about it. And, um, but so this is kind of like the last piece of the discussion, what gets me really excited and why I've been obsessed about Tesla is the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. Like we have to electrify everything, like not even the $2 trillion auto segment, the planes, the boats, everything around me is burning fossil fuels. I walk on the street, not just cars, lawnmowers, leaf blower. It just doesn't matter. And this to me represents the, the inflection point of where it's economically getting so dumb to set some, to build something new with a fossil fuel system that we are going to go electric. And so there's lots to ways to go to this. You know, is Tesla going to outsource production of batteries? Are they just going to sell straight up batteries? Are they going to get into all these categories and build it all themselves? But um, I don't know. That's kind of the part that really excites me is I want planes and boats to go electric. And I want to see that to start happening now or the work on that to start happening now. So in 10 years, that's the future we're living in. And that's why I love what they're doing on Cato Road. And I love this battery skunk works because to me, this is going to be in a plane. This is going to be in a boat or what the next version of this, you know. So is that... Do you feel that? Do you see that this unlocking well, the next chapter of products for Tesla because of its its efficiencies? We're getting into what's next. So there's there's two sides of this. First, there there's a series of concerns that I had about all right uh, Tesla's production path for their in-house battery production. First is can they actually produce a battery cell? And then can they produce a large quantity of battery cells? So now that we you have that 4680 in your hand and they've said these 4680 vehicles are gonna go into vehicles, I never doubted Tesla's ability to do that, but still you like, oh, it's a big, you, it's a big relief when you, when you actually have that. So uh, that's one of the biggest hurdles or some of the biggest hurdles are cleared. Now, what we're gonna run into, I think in the next few years is raw material av availability. There's, there's already shortages of nickel and lithium. And we know Tesla, at least for this year, they're set. But I wonder deeper in the future, how, how far up the line they have their supply chain secured? Because all these, go ahead. Uh, I want to interrupt because a really interesting tidbit that what, yeah. one thing I learned about Tesla, why they're so ahead, they built a team to source these battery materials way ahead of time, build contracts. This is an in-house team that Tesla had that was very sophisticated mm. and complicated to develop that no other automaker had for decades because they didn't take EVs seriously. So this is another example of some in-house way that Tesla's doing it different because you don't have to deal with raw materials and EVs, but I know they had an in-house team that was dedicated to locking the supply at certain prices for years down the road, and that was super critical. So anyway, I didn't want to, but yeah. Oh, no, that, that is absolutely correct. I, I'm glad you put that in there because a lot of people would uh, bring that up. And so there's a few different routes that Tesla can take to get around these raw material shortages. One, they, they've already done one of them, which is making sure that they have a, a crack team of people in-house to source these raw materials. And my assumption is that Tesla is better positioned than uh, any company in the game to get these raw materials. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they won't run into, you know, uh, bottlenecks and they won't be playing whack-a-mole with raw materials. Now, the other thing they can do is they can sign agreements with other manufacturers and leverage 
the cell production and materials resourcing capability of all these other companies to put battery cells into their vehicles. The combination of those two things gives me a lot of confidence in Tesla's ability to ramp over the next few years. But uh, I would like I would like them to at least address that in an earnings call at some point because I think I think it is important. But then again, it's a constantly evolving situation, so I don't know if they can comment on it. So. And I know Elon uh, was talking like mine more nickel. Like he said that on the last conference call, like he's like to all yeah. nickel my or a few a bunch of conference calls ago actually. But you know, so he's to me that's the signal of Elon saying it. He's literally telling people to mine more nickel, um, and he's like, "We'll buy it." Um, but I, I think it's also interesting because like a lot of like Benchmark and Rodney, like I'm I, I love Benchmark, I'm big fans of them. But you know, when they put out all these reports about how there's going to be a lithium lithium shortage and the price is going to skyrocket, um, I also think they're incentivized to sell reports, so they're going to try and have a really key insight in the report, so you buy it. So I don't know if their incentives are aligned to. Be well, under, but anyway, so I, I, I my point, my I wanted to push back on that because I always hear this as a reason for why Tesla will not be able to scale, but it has never been the limiting factor for Tesla's growth. <laughs> well, that's because it's uh, we haven't been in this situation to this extent before. Now, there's there, there's two sides of it. One, there is the the public markets for raw materials, and the, the material prices are skyrocketing there, and. I think Tesla has contracts locked in to where they, uh, they're probably not affected by those wild swings in prices. But I, I don't know how long those agreements are for. So you do raise a good point that the, everybody, everybody talks their own book to a certain extent. They push information that um, uh, aligns with their point of view. And I, I guess I try to take a nuanced approach to that to acknowledge the fact that there is a raw materials um, shortage right now already, and it's probably going to get worse. However, Tesla has a really good material sourcing team. They're working on their own way to source those materials in-house or uh, create materials in-house. And then on top of that, as I said, I think they're going to sign lots of agreements with different companies, hopefully BYD, for example, and uh, they're going to get make sure they get the battery cells they need um, through through third parties. And Tesla went through a lot of struggles convincing suppliers to take them seriously when they were growing up. And so now if you're thinking, this is another layer of competitive advantage for Tesla, super nerding out on business. But if you think about the leverage, and if you're a, one of these mining companies, you want to sell the Tesla. The default risk of Tesla is low. The default risk of all these other EV companies who built nothing that are promising millions of years, you're like... They're like, we're not gonna like, like we don't oh. trust you. Like you're buying this at the at the spot price, bro. Like you know what I mean. So this is a huge. Actually, I think Tesla is in a it competitively out of all the people is in a strong position. They also have the most uh, pricing. They can just increase their prices by a thousand bucks. Their customers don't even care. So shortage to me is an interesting term because that means there's not enough. The price is going up. And Tesla's buying enough to build their vehicles and make them at a profit. So it's not a shortage. It's just an increase in price that the most, you know, uh, strongest players in the industry are able to compensate for while the weakest ones are not because they don't have that wiggle room and margin. This is turning into a really good conversation about the material supply chain. I'm really enjoying it. So there's you're bringing up a lot of really good points. and I'm glad you're pushing back on me on these things. So in terms of um, supply shortage. Well, how do you define a supply shortage? What does that actually mean? And from my mind, I don't think, 
Tesla's ever going to have a hard cap and they're, they're just going to hit a limit and they won't be able to produce uh, the vehicles they need. What I think it means, it just means it's going to be more difficult for them to get those materials and they're not going to be able to produce as many vehicles as they want. But I still do think that they're going to be able to maintain a really solid growth rate. Um, and it's through those mechanisms that I talked about earlier by uh, working the supply chain in-house and then leveraging the supply chains of other people. Now, there's another thing that Tesla has that's they have the best efficiency in the market. They can do more with each battery cell than anybody else out there. So they're in a much better position from that perspective. I think Tesla's in a position now where they can take an LFP battery pack and then they can make that $25,000 vehicle, make it maybe 45 to 47 kilowatt hours, and they can produce about twice as many vehicles as anybody else um, with the same cell supply because they can make that smaller, more efficient vehicle. So, all right, we run into a materials bottleneck. Well, how about we just switch to a, a different vehicle, take that, you know, 1 million vehicles worth of uh, supply and turn it into 2 million vehicles. So there's so many levers and so many different facets to this. Why don't we nerd out on the the $25,000 vehicle? I'm calling it model robo-taxi. Um, and it's, I think Tesla can build an EV that comfortably seats two to four people uh, for $17,000 that they sell for $25,000. But that includes none of the full self-driving software. So that's a weird part of the debate where I don't even think Tesla's figured out how to sell this to consumers yet. And I think, frankly, they may just never come out with the $25,000 car. And it may just be a $45,000 Model 3 or Y that is autonomous that drives everyone around. But on the flip side, I'm like, well, this 4680, this is with the 2170, the 4680, we should be able to drop the cost of the hardware system significantly in the long run with the 4680 because of cheaper to scale, in-house, less materials, da 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 And so this to me, and, it, and the, actually the last part of this question is in battery day, that was the whole thing of battery day, is this enables the $25,000 car and they put it under a veil. They even showed us it under a veil and they're like, this is it. So I don't know. It, you have any comments on it? Or? Oh yeah, I have lots of thoughts. So let's let's pan way back here. Is the point of Tesla to produce a lot of cars, or is it to uh, accelerate the transition to sustainable energy? It's to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. So if you can, and I think this is really important, why Elon said, "Well, we can produce the same number of vehicles and get five times the productivity out of those vehicles." So. Yeah, to your point, do they really need a $25,000 vehicle? The Model 3 is actually a better size for a taxi. And if each one of those uh, Model 3s moves five times the number of people around, then that's the way to go. And Tesla might just take all these Model 3s that they're producing in-house, not sell them, put them on their own books, <laughs> and um, just you know make a ridiculous amount of money off of them while solving a lot of uh, uh you know emissions issues and i i do have to give a shout out to uh Arkimoto. obviously i'm biased and on the board so i can't say too much but their idea of we do we need a car 
Like I hate that our cities are designed for cars. And that would be kind of the one way I want to push back on Tesla's current vision for the future is let's not just reinvent the current system we have and make it electric, but let's think about what is the most optimal way for a human to get around their city and how we want our city to be structured. And do we want roads and cars to be VIPs and gray cement everywhere? Or do we want it to be more plants and trees? And um, and like Tesla, the 4680, this symbolizes less resources. That That's what a bike symbolizes. That's what a three-wheel, uh, you know, uh, a three-wheel electric vehicle like Arkimoto symbolizes. Like for most of your trips, you don't need a car. And it's actually super inefficient. Even if you have all of these, if you're driving a thing that's built for five or six people, but there's only one of them in there, it doesn't matter how good, like that's still a shitty use of energy. So I, if I, I don't know, this is totally off, tra off track, but I do think there's room for Tesla in their product roadmap. And I'm against motorcycles too. I've been in a motorcycle crash. It sucks. And I think they're super dangerous and I don't want any of my friends to get one, but I think that's why I love Arkimoto. It's three wheels. It's safer. It's in between that motorcycle and a car. And I just think that to me may be a product that sells the most units of anything. And I just, anyway, I think it's just, I had to mention that because we're talking about the most efficient use of raw materials. And I have to think the form factor of a vehicle itself limits the efficiency of the raw material usage. Absolutely. It's uh, it's a perfect point. Why use a vehicle that can fit four people when the majority of the time that there, there's only one person in the car? And I'm, uh, full disclosure, I'm invested in FUV. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm invested in Arkimoto. So I, I clearly uh, share their vision. It's uh, I think my two biggest positions right now are Tesla and Arkimoto. Oh, and some Bitcoin. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, as far as how, how that works in, I think... Even around town, something like Arkimoto isn't as safe as a vehicle, I can and I can understand why Elon is against that. However, I think over time, as you get more cars on the road that can drive themselves, it will force the, the, the shift to a smaller form factor like the Arkimoto. So like short term, like Arkimoto's growth product uh, prospects are absolutely ridiculous. But if we get all the cars on the road self-driving, the roads become safer. I think the market increases even further because it's um, the safety won't be as as big of an issue. And it's on a bigger level. It's like I, I think, you know, we have 50 years left at least and I want to see the world be different. And like, when I want to think about the future, I don't want to walk outside and look at eight cars that are ugly boxes of metal that burn fossil fuels that are like, literally I walked on my way to the store today. It's just like a big puddle of oil, like dripping. It's like the most beautiful streets, the lake. And just like seeing this drip into the lake. And I'm just like, this is like, bro, like we have so much potential. Earth is so beautiful. Let's like redesign our cities and figure out like, like it, it was just, I don't know. So I, I get really excited about this because to me, this represents like the technology, which gives us the ability to like, you know, get around cheaper and easier and faster. And what that means for our cities is just really exciting. Um, okay. But I'm getting, we're getting sidetracked. I want to get back to the Tesla and where this goes. When are we going to come out? When is this going to be good enough for it to be a commercial flight? Will we even oh. need it to be a commercial plane? <laughs> yeah, that's we've we, well, yeah we've I completely avoided that side of it. Um, well, not on purpose at least. I just we got talking. There's so many aspects of this. My view, I think it's going to be quite a way a way away before we see. Um, Sorry, I my uh, my people are outside my door. I'm telling them to wait five minutes. Okay, yeah. Um, so from my perspective, it's it's going to be quite a while bef before we see. You know, oh God, hold on a second. Uh, so from my perspective, 
right now, the battery cells are good enough to provide us some like, you know, flights within cities. So it depends on, like, are you talking like medium haul or long haul? It depends on what range you're talking because it takes, uh, with the structural battery, that helps out quite a bit. I think with the structural battery in the 4680, the technology will be there probably the mid 2020s where we can start getting some short haul flights with uh, uh, jets. But as in terms of Elon's supersonic vertical takeoff and landing electric jet, I think that I think that'll be probably the early 2030s is my view. And I think that's what we really want because I don't know if you're going to say something, but I have like a lot of ideas about where that can go because, okay, you're giving me, you're waving me on. So, all right, look at what Elon's done with every industry that he's entered into. What is one of the most difficult pain in the ass industries that you have to deal with? It's the airline industry. We can completely redo the way that flights are done. And hopefully we can get around if we use smaller uh, aircraft and aircraft that can go to any airport because they're vertical takeoff and landing, we can move from a hub and smoke, hub and spoke model of uh, aircraft movement to one where you can go from point to point. So every flight that you will have will be more direct. It'll be to smaller airports with less, less security. So it's, uh, I'm hoping we can get to a point where flying isn't such a pain in the butt anymore. Flying won't and suck. It'll be amazing. Yeah. It'll yeah. be amazing. Uh, so mid 2020s, it sounds like the uh, technological inflection points there where the energy density makes sense for long haul, couple hour flights only starts improving from there to mid 2030s, maybe long haul flights, supersonic VTOL jet possible. What about cargo ships? To me, that sounds easier because we have more space. I have a cyber cyber cargo ship scheme and then it shoots out these solar wings just floating in the ocean charging up 4680s mobbing like i'm just like bro this is good the aliens are finally gonna be like you built some cool shit you know what i mean like come on i i don't know when that'll be i i haven't taken a look into ships but it's um yeah it's something i don't know enough about something i'd have to research into but just to, i'm going to clarify a point there like short haul is like one to two hour flights and i think like medium haul is like two to five and then long haul you're up at eight like eight plus hours something like that and i think for that that's why we have starship when you get into these really long flights so i don't know i don't know where the overlap there is but it's something i want to research and look further into okay, there's just so much to cover this is on our the next podcast is is the boats and planes because that's that's like i like the thing that Elon doesn't want to talk about. That's what I like to talk about. And I, what's your, uh, uh, any last comments on this? I want to pick his brain. I have so many questions because one of my first videos that I did was on the supersonic vertical takeoff and landing jet. You can even keep going. Okay. Uh, yeah. One of the first videos I did was on the supersonic vertical takeoff and landing electric jet. Just to shorten that up, I just called it the E super VTOL because that's kind of a mouthful. Uh, but there are so many errors in that video that I took it down, but there's a lot that I learned from it. And I learned enough from the comments and from my research on that video to where um, I feel like there's a few questions that I have for Elon that would give us some good ideas about what this thing might look like and what it would be capable of and when we might be able to expect it. Got a couple more minutes. My bad. I have the uh, people help me clean because I don't have a Tesla bot yet.
<laughs> Did you hear what I said? No, no, no. Keep going. So something okay. about the super, so, you, it was like the good part. Yeah. So basically, I'll just run you through what I just said. I said, uh, basically, I, I did a video on the electronic super take. Eh, I, I just called it the e-super VTOL to like shorten it down because it's such a freaking mouthful. And uh, now that video was so far off that I ended up taking it down. However, I learned so much doing that video and from the comments on that video that I feel like I have, um, I know a few good questions to, to ask Elon to figure out uh, what this jet can do and what it might look like without actually seeing a picture of it and asking the question directly. Like, for instance, what materials are they going to use? What mock range is it going to operate in? Because if you know the mock range, you, you know, it'll give you an idea of the materials that you can use for it. Just things like that will give us insights or the shape of the wing. Are you planning on doing like a B2 bomber, like a wing style like that? Or are you planning on going with like a super advanced like Bozeman biplane type wing, which is, uh, this, this isn't something I said a few seconds ago, but, um, I'm just explaining it to you now. <laughs> so this is probably isn't good for recording, but yeah, there's, no, this is, lot, this is gold, dude. Keep it. Yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, innovative wing shapes that I, I don't know if they're even feasible, but if there's somebody who would try those wing shapes out, the person is Elon Musk. Like for instance, one of the things that you run into a supersonic jet is uh, like uh, the, the sonic boom and the efficiencies of different wing shapes with that, where there's just something called a Bozeman biplane. And again, I don't know enough about it to know if it would work, but it's supposed to um, allow you to do like a wing style supersonic jet uh, that, that also is quiet. Uh, or if he's going to go with something more typical, like the shape of an SR-71 Blackbird. But if you did that, eh, you run into issues there as well. Let me think for a second on what those issues are. With, with a shape like that, you wouldn't be able to use two different thrust mechanisms. Because I think in one of Elon's interviews, he said it might use two different types of thrust. So it might have fans to lift it in the VTOL section of its flight. And then it might have like a special type of jet for the supersonic regime. I have a question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think I know what's scheming. Elon scheming those cold gas thrusters on the Roadster is the first production version of the sort of engine, which will be the thruster for the VTOL. Is that... That's something I have to look into. I don't know how energy efficient that is. And on top of that, how much storage of compressed air that would take, because it would take quite a bit. In order to do that, you might have to, and this is something like Elon might be able to do, is incorporate the pressure tank into the wing. It depends on how much pressure those tanks have to hold and how big they, how big they would have to be. So it's, yeah, we just need, if we could just get a few basic uh, questions answered about his plan for the supersonic VTOL, then maybe we could start like get a, get some people together who actually know something about this and actually design something that's actually feasible. Yeah. And so I heard, um, actually, I didn't even listen to this new Franz podcast, but I heard he talks about the Roadster and confirms again, it's going to hover. And so to me, this is like, I'm so curious about this because this is the flying car today. And like, they're like, yeah, it's kind of going to be a flying car. It's like, okay, well for your car to fly, 
and not like I'm pretty OCD about my rims and my bumper. Like I'm not trying to like I'm not paying for a, a, a million dollar roadster and hovering once and fucking it up and then bringing it in for service for 100 G's. Like, how are you going to float up and down? You know, it's got to land like, like well, right. Like it's got to be able to land smoothly without maybe a little bit of I'll take a little rim scuff per flight, but not much, you know. <laughs> supersonic VTOLs and Galley's concerned about his rims. Um, <laughs> so I guess like you have this, there's a few things he said that you just kind of have to, how do all these things fit together? Like another thing he said, it's going to regenerate the energy on the way down. I think for that, you'd need some sort of fan or you'd have to like dive straight down <laughs> and like, and that would be kind of like riding a roller coaster. So what, yeah, I try, try to figure out what would be the best thrust for like the vertical takeoff and landing regime and what would be the best way to collect the energy going down and what would be the best because is it going to be just like a normal like jet engine with just electric engines or are they going to use like something like those new plasma jets where they in, like use microwaves to um uh, create like a plasma out of the air so yeah if we can just get a few questions answered on what it's going to be made of the shape of the wing, um, the type of thrust that it's going to use, then we can maybe design something. I the comments, we'll let the comments pop off on that because I think there should be that should be some good inspiration. Um, is there anything else? Like I feel like we need to do another podcast soon. But what's is there anything about the forty six eighty? I also want to give you a shout out, bro, because you are an amazing creator and you're doing such cool work to make batteries to make us all understand this and to make it easy to understand and to provide, uh, it's in, to make the academics feel like superstars. I think that's so important. Um, let's make, cause we want more people to get into academia, academia. And so your content's all about putting them on a pedestal, giving them the credit that they don't get. And like, I just think that's inspiring. And like people, when Elon says there needs to be more good news in the world, it's channels like yours. It's thoughtful information. It's non-biased, it's independent. And I'm just like a huge fan of what you're doing. And it's like, I'm like, I have the dream job of I get to get my 4680 and like, kick it with you for an hour like this is epic mm -hmm. so seriously thank you bro and i think everyone should really check out your channel if they want to dive deeper on this well i i appreciate that and yeah well, the thing is is we stand it's kind of become cliche but we stand on the shoulders of giants like i wouldn't be able to like i know a fraction of what the people like early in the video you said these are my colleagues well i feel like they still know so much more than me about batteries and i know you feel lucky that you get to interact and talk with people that um you know have expertise in certain areas well i feel super lucky as well that i have access to all these people who know so much about batteries and i i kind of get to be a conduit for it and i get to dabble and play and all these different like i'm a bit adhd i get bored with the topic real quick so this gives me an opportunity every two weeks to dive into something completely different and uh something new to chew on and yeah, I, I feel fortunate to have a YouTube channel to uh, dive into all these things because I think with every other, other career I've had, I've gotten bored, whereas this is something I, I don't think I'll, I'll get bored with. It, it's fun to dig into new information and then share it with people. So, and in terms of the, the 4680, um, I wish I could articulate the impact of it better, but it's as far as I, I can tell it's um, not the 4680 cell itself, but the production process that makes that cell. The cell is just the output. The production process itself is really what's changing the world for us. It's um, better, faster, cheaper, 
better for the environment. I don't, I don't know what else to say, but I think everything that can be said has been said. Should we end it with a round of applause for Drew and Elon and yeah. the, uh, the bat and even JB because he was doing like this is like yeah. hell yeah. yeah. Uh, All the people at Tesla. Yeah. yeah, dude. Well, have a great day, Jordan. Uh, this was so fun, and we'll talk again soon, bro. Can't wait. Sounds Thank good. You. Peace. See you later. All right, I'm gonna end it and bounce, bro. Legendary, legendary, dude. You fucking rock, bro. Have a great day.